What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast. This is Bill Allen. Today, I've got another eight-figure entrepreneur on the podcast, and you are going to love this one. We are going to talk all about um, what Al does. We're going to talk about the eight-figure experience that he went through and some takeaways that you guys can take. We've been doing these uh, podcasts with the eight-figure members for a while, and I think the trickle-down effect is starting to happen. The feedback that I'm getting is incredible. You guys want to hear more and more of these. It's showing you what's possible, the direction that you can go, and I know today's podcast is going to be no different with my good friend Al said. So, I'm gonna roll the theme music and then we'll be right back with me and Al. My name is Bill Allen and I'm the leader of a group of elite house flippers and wholesalers called Seven Figure Flipping. We don't brag or show off our success, but instead let integrity and stewardship be our guide. We are dedicated to helping people unlock the freedom they desperately need. If you ask other real estate investors, they will say to keep your secrets quiet. But we believe in abundance, not scarcity. And that's why we are the elite. We are Seven Figure Flipping, and this podcast is our playbook. All right, everybody. We are back with another amazing show, and I cannot wait to jump into um, the eight-figure experience that my guest went through today. Like many others that you guys have heard, um, it's going to be a little bit different. I'm sure his view was very unique looking through his lens, so I'm probably going to get something else out of it than I've gotten from the other interviews I've done, and I'm sure you will feel the same way. So, um, Al, my guest today, Al said, what's up, Al? How are you? Good, Bill. How are you? Good. Okay, you're going to have to say your last name for the audience. Sedegravish. Okay, there we go. And so Al <laughs> said it, so I don't. So I don't have to. Um, give everybody a background. You've never been on the show before. Give everybody a background on, um, on you um, and maybe how, like, how you got started in the real estate business a little bit. Cool. So I started 11 years ago in residential lending. Um, I still actually operate my lending business too. I'm pretty well leveraged. I work probably 10 hours a week there. Um, I bring in, uh, we grossed, I think, three and a half million in that business. I netted uh, just over six, seven figures in that business last year. Got my hours down to about 10 to 15 hours a week. Um, I've got my hands on a lot of different things I know you and I talk about um, kind of regularly. So about two and a half years ago, I realized I had this first kind of epiphany um, after spending nine years at that point, kind of pounding the pavement in the mortgage business and coming from absolute survival, like was dead broke, 19 years old before I started in the loan business. Nine years later, got well out of survival, started to build a level of wealth. And then as I got out of survival, I quickly realized that the that business wasn't giving me a lot of fulfillment in the day-to-day interactions of what we do. Now, there's certain avenues of that business, like growing a team, um, developing and growing other leaders, and then leading an organization that I still love doing that brings that fills my cup. But there's a lot of things in that business that just wasn't. And um, and so I was I was making a lot of money, but I wasn't fulfilled. And so two and a half years ago, I had this like this immersion event and this awakening that I don't want to retire in the loan business. And I was 29 years old at the time. So it kind of started me on the path of entrepreneurship. I always considered myself a mortgage lender, not an entrepreneur until two and a half years ago. And then that kind of started me on the path of a lot of different things. So my brother, who's one of my business partners now, and I started flipping properties uh, about two, just over two years ago. And that's kind of what, you know, how we got wrapped up in the seven figure world. We started flipping and wholesaling. Um, and we, we did probably four or 500,000 in revenue last year. Nothing remarkable. Great for our first year and a half in the business. We've got a lot of big goals with that. Um, my wife and I have a couple short-term rentals that she manages and we're growing that business and scaling it right now. Um, I am in the process of acquiring an escrow company, um, potentially going to buy into an insurance company. 
started a private equity fund a few months ago with some partners, learning a lot about the private equity space. So I'm officially no longer a mortgage loan officer. I'm an entrepreneur that has a loan business. So that's the and about level. 10 others. <laughs> and about so, 10 others, yep. Hey, something I want to pull out of that that was, you just said we started a flipping business a couple years ago. Last year we did four or $500,000 in gross. It, not that much, uh, not that big of a deal, right? And so it's interesting to hear that versus somebody who's just getting started and the mindset and behind something like that, because I guarantee there's probably 98%, 99% of the audience that's listening to this. That's like, what the heck did he just say? Like four or $500,000 is not that much. Like I want to do that in my second or third year in this business. Like just hitting a hundred thousand dollars would be good for me. So, um, what do you say to somebody like that? Like, how do you get from, from that place to where the way that you think? Um, I, for me, it's relative to the lives that we live, right? Like if you'd asked me, uh, if making 500,000 a year in gross revenue in a business, if you asked me that question seven years ago, I'd be like, man, that is amazing. I'd love to get there one day. And then, you know, but I've had these, these kind of these stepping stones in my career where, you know, my first target was to get to 250,000 in income, did that. And then chased 500,000, did that, then chased a million and did that. When I hit seven figures, one of the things that I realized, uh, in net take home income was no matter how much money I bring in, it's never enough and it's never good enough. And so I got to the place of, of uh, that had a lot to do with being unfulfilled, right? Like I realized at that point that it's no longer about chasing the money because if I'm constantly chasing the money, there's a level of unfulfillment for me and for my family and that's not what life's about. And so I started to get connected more to the vision of what, you know, what the purpose is in my life and what impact I want to have. And we may get to that on this call, we may not, but there's a lot of other things I want to do in the world. And when I started to get clear on that, the stepping stones started to open themselves up. And then it's just kind of relative, like 500,000 to us today doesn't go a long way for what it is that we're looking to do. So what I'd ask you to do and what I challenge you to do is get clear on the vision, the purpose for your life. I understand that most people on the planet, not just listening to this call right now, but most people on the planet live their entire lives in survival. And it's like they have less than six months of their survival number saved up. So if God forbid something happens and market tanks, they can't afford their bills past six months to keep their business alive, much less their personal life. Um, that's a season. That's a phase that we go through. The challenge is people are, get so married to this place of survival and they never release it. Once you start to release this place of survival and realize there's something like God has a much bigger plan for your life. And this isn't a spiritual conversation. I just, I believe in God. I believe in faith. And I believe that everything happens to us for a reason. And God puts things on our shoulders that he knows that we can handle. And so I just challenge you that if you're in a place where you're going, man, I don't know how to get to 500,000. I can't even get to a hundred thousand a year. Like there, you have to have a compelling reason that's going to drive you beyond survival. Cause even if you break through that and you get past survival, you're going to come to a point where you have a crossroads like I did. The difference was for me, I was continuing to elevate uh, my character in immersion events and coaching and reading books and finding mentors. So it's like I was constantly elevating the chapter of who I was getting influenced by, which was also elevating my perspective on money and business. Because if I hang out with a bunch of people that are struggling to make $100,000 a year, if I have the conversation of we just brought in a half million dollars in revenue, of course, everybody's jobs are going to drop. But the friends that I have now, the, the, the associations that I have now, if I look at them and say, I bring in half a million bucks in last year, um, they're going to be like, cool. So what's your goal next year? And when are you going to break multiple seven figures? 
So your associations have a lot to play in this too. Like who we associate ourselves with, which is a big reason why I decided to pull the trigger with eight figure entrepreneur is because I want to be in a group where I'm not the smartest person in the room and people think a lot bigger than me. And I can have these higher level conversations that can support me across this path. So I challenge you, if you're stuck in that mindset, I would bet you 90% of the problem is because of who you're associating with and who you're allowing to influence you. And so shift your associations, be around people that have what it is in your life that you want. Like if you want a perfect marriage, don't hang out with people that have been divorced five times. You're probably going to end up down that same path. Same thing with money. If you want to become a millionaire one day, figure out how you can associate with millionaires in your realm, in your circle, in your area, and go attach yourself to them. Like I spent the first three or four years in the loan business finding people that were making over a million bucks a year. And I was figuring out how to make over six figures. But I was associating with these type of people and they elevated my thinking. I started asking better questions like not how do I close a wholesale deal? It's like, no, how do we create a revenue stream of five to seven wholesale deals coming in per month? And then we just need to figure out a dispo plan to offload these assets. Elevate the game of who you're associating with. Ask better questions. I love that. Okay. We're done here, everybody. There's your tip. You just take that and run with it. Um, I, I think you nailed it, really. I, I still remember when I was trying to break that million-dollar net worth. And by the way, if anybody's listening and you're trying to cross that level, nothing happens when you do it. There's not bells that go off and a bunch of uh, confetti that drops from the ceiling. Uh, you probably don't even know it. But I was tracking it, and I was like 750, 800, and and I, I, that's around the time that I like joined Seven Figure Flipping and came into this world. And now it's just like, oh my gosh, it's just accelerated it. I, I was just watching it tick up. I would track it every single month when I was in stock market and doing all this other stuff and just saving and saving and saving. I was like, one day I want to be a millionaire. I thought it was going to be when I was like 50 or 60 or something like that, like around retirement age. And now it's like, oh, okay, I, you're right. There's bigger plans for me. And I have a lot more capability here. And like you, you said something, it was like, you know, if you're always chasing the money, it's not necessarily, it's, I'm not going to fulfill you. And I think you're, you're totally right. It's like, what, what, are, what are you looking for? And um, the number is just a scorecard. It's a scoreboard that we, all, a lot of people always want to win, especially driven entrepreneurs. You're just trying to win. And when you put more numbers on the scoreboard, uh, the other people get more numbers and it just looks like you're constantly losing and you're running on a hamster wheel. So finding that fulfillment is the key. Um, I love it. So, like you mentioned, um, you mentioned jumping into this eight figure entrepreneur because you want to be around different people. How, how did you feel when you showed up at, at this meeting and jumped into this group? And, and maybe it was even like in the skybox in January. I don't know. Or it was at this meeting uh, mm -hmm. here in February. You get to know people a little bit better. Um, did you feel like you were uh, at the level that you wanted to be? Yeah, definitely. Because there are people in, um, you know, the cool thing about the eight figure group, there's probably 14 of us between business partners and everything, 14, 15. Um, everybody's built success at a certain level, at a pretty high level in their lane of what they do. And the lanes are different, right? We're all within real estate, but the lanes are different. And I was so for nine years, I was so singularly focused on building wealth through one route, which is doing a bunch of loans making a bunch of money, paying a bunch of tax and pumping money into the equities market. And so as I started to shift into becoming a real estate investor, I realized there's about a million ways to skin a cat of how to become a millionaire or a decamillionaire. This group, the collective consciousness of the group is like you, you're, in a, you're in a room, you're in an environment with people that not only do well financially, like that's success 
is as a multiple pronged approach for me. Money is one aspect of it, but it's the character of who these people are. Like, are we looking to elevate our character of who we are and to um, provide value for humanity, not just in real estate and what we do, but are we here to make the world a better place? And I felt that I was very clear on that, that week that we were at the event in Boulder city. So to answer your question, absolutely. Like it lifted my lid on what's possible for me. One of my big, kind of my theme for that event for me, my takeaway was, you know, I'm playing a small game right now relative to my thinking and that small thinking and that small game serves absolutely nobody around me. So like you talk about that competitive edge of wanting to grow and be a better person and do more and do more. I like to take it a layer deeper. So I talked about vision and purpose. And so when I got clear on that last couple of years, like one of the things that drives me is wanting to help kids that are um, doing trafficking, right? Like you and I have talked about this a few times, like that's got a special place in my heart and that's an impact that I want to leave in this world. I also realized though, that that world is a dangerous world and there's a lot of evil at work in that realm. And so in order for me to have the impact that I want to have, that's going to require a ridiculous amount of money, a lot of influence and a lot of resources. And so I got clear this past week, that week at the event that uh, I'm 31 now and I want to be a billionaire by the time I'm 40, not for the title of being a billionaire, but who that's going to require me to evolve into my character, the influences and the relationships that I'm going to create so that I can leave a lasting impact in this world. But I'll tell you those last couple of years, I started to get clear on that. Things have started to move out of the way obstacles and the path has become clearer and clearer. So like, you're not the only one that's looked at me and gone, why do you have your hands in so many different things? I, I literally get that question weekly. How am I able to keep up with stuff? Because my vision and my compelling reason for why I do it is so much stronger than the fear and the objections and all of the other garbage that goes on in my head and from the people around me that I don't care what's needed. I'm clear on my target and I'm going to get there. And so things just start to become easier. Let's say easier. They become more simple. Mm. Simple as a challenge, isn't it? Especially when we have so many other things going on. Like that's, that's what I really try to figure out. How can I make all this stuff simple? I feel like we, in business, a lot of times you can build a really big ship that's really heavy that takes a long time to turn. And we really need to be agile and nimble and, and make things super simple so that we can adjust and pivot and, and react to different things. Um, you know what? I'm really glad that you told me that the way that you did just now, because now I see how I can help you better. Like if I understand that, I can see how I can play a little part in, in helping you get to that goal, which may be bigger than anybody else's desire inside the group right now. And you have a clear vision of it. And I can say, okay, what, what, what role do I play right now and over this next year for you and with you? to help you get there. And I, what I hear is my role is not to say, stop doing more stuff. Like, um, and just kind of be like, man, you're nuts. This is wild. Are you sure you want to do this and figure out how, like, how can I open doors for you? How can I, uh, um, how can I, uh, introduce you to the right person? How can I guide you down the right path? So, um, just hearing that right now and like interviewing you here is very helpful for me. So, um, what were some other takeaways that you got from the event? Yeah. What did you, uh, I think you, you, you have some things that, and, and, Let's do this a little bit differently. You kind of came with, hey, I have these things that I took away from the event. Let's just go to you and say, what were they? And then I can maybe kind of bring people in of like what day that was and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. So the global beliefs exercise that you facilitated that we went through, super powerful. 
I've like, I've been able to, um, I've gone through that kind of process in my head a few times in, over the last decade of understanding global beliefs. I didn't put the title on it, but I treated it as lenses that we look through, right? So like our belief systems on a global side of say, uh, let's just take the, the idea of lead generation as it pertains to business. If my global belief in lead generation is it's hard, then that I'm going to literally manifest situations to validate my belief that it's hard. And so seeing that, and people talk so much about like, you know, in order to change the result that you have in your life, you need to change your habits. To change your habits, you need to change your actions. To change your actions, you need to change your thoughts. Well, I think before all of that and what we addressed was identifying and shining a light on the belief system that's in the power seat running things. And so that was a really powerful exercise for me to be able to like go through and experience. But then I, I took it to a deeper level and I went, that's such a powerful exercise. I want to take it and understand it to the point where I can teach my team. And so I came back to one of my companies, uh, to the mortgage side, and I had that same, um, actually this past Monday, I went to the entire global beliefs exercise with my entire team. And it was like, aha, aha, aha. I mean, they're, their heads were about to pop off at the end of it. And as was I, because as was mine, because I was able to see common threads in, in uh, roadblocks we have in the growth of that business. And then the underlying global beliefs they have in that lane, that's preventing us from breaking through the challenges. So we mm. shined a light on it and it was like, holy smokes, if we can just shift the belief here, everything else will start to change. And then we manifest the result we're looking for. So that was really powerful. Um, so thanks for facilitating that one for us. You're um, another one was the hot seat day. So I got a couple of cool things when we went to the hot seat where hot seat for anybody that's watching is no idea. It's like, I have a challenge and there's 14 other entrepreneurs in the room and I just stand up and I give my challenge and I get coaching and feedback from the others that have dealt with it. And so that was really powerful. So there's two areas that I took away from there. Um, one, taking a deep dive into the accountability chart. So like in any organization, you have an organizational chart. Uh, EOS entrepreneurial operating system talks a lot through traction, talks a lot about accountability chart. That's really the only place I've ever heard an organizational chart referred to as an accountability chart. And so it was a huge aha for me because I have two other business partners in our wholesaling and flipping company, and all three of us have enterpriser profiles. All of us are visionaries. All of us are big thinkers. We don't like the weeds, and we love changing things. And so that becomes really problematic when we're the ones running the ship and we have nobody that's a solid integrator. So we actually had a partner meeting this morning and dove into our accountability chart. I shared the hot seat uh, feedback I got from other business partners in the eight-figure group. We all got on the same page. So we're going to break down. We're going to do an entire meeting next week just to dial in the accountability chart. And understand like where I got stumped on accountability was, so I wear kind of the finance role in that business. That's really my main function. I'm also the visionary. What's interesting is my partner, John, is has a visionary profile for sure, but for the function of what he's doing for the company, he's our COO, he's the integrator. And so it's, it's, it was an interesting dynamic we worked through, but finance department technically should report to the COO, COO reports to the visionary. And so I've got to develop the skill set of being able to compartmentalize in my mind and shift those hats between the finance hat that reports to John and then the, um, the visionary hat that John reports to and I can support. And so we talked through that as a partnership this morning. It was really effective. And so I'm really excited to kind of implement that across everything I'm doing. 
Um, let me let me jump in there real quick before you move to the next one. Um, yeah. So I've, I've had to deal with this. I'm the content creator inside of Seven Figure Flipping. So I actually work for the marketing department to create videos and trainings and things like that. Like if they need something from me, they have to ask me for it. And and so the big realization I had over the last like year or so, when I was the visionary and integrator and and help with marketing, and so it was easy because there was no like. I didn't have to answer the marketing director and then the integrator and then me as the visionary. So like you're the owner and you're also one of the employees that does work like create a podcast or like, and so my podcasts have to come out on time, right? I have to create them on time. But when you, when you basically just rock the COO hat all the time or the CEO hat all the time and an owner hat, and you're just like, I'll get it to you when I feel like it, you start slowing down that team. They, if you were a paid employee, there's no possible way that your job would not be in jeopardy if you were getting them late podcasts and late things and not doing the things that you said you were going to do and not being accountable. So, and then you drag the rest of the team down. So what I had, what I realized what I had to do is I had to talk to that marketing director or the COO and tell them that like, if I'm showing up like the CEO, when I'm, when I'm talking to the team that I work for, that's a problem, right? So, so I had to give them permission to hold me accountable too, to kind of like lead up and down the chain of command um, in that role. So because it's very easy as the CEO to be like, I, sorry, I just can't get it to you today. I'll, I'll get it to you at 9 p.m. tonight. And, but I also want you to get it out the same night, like get the podcast out the same night. Um, it's, it's really not professional. And that's how you're leading. That's the example that you're setting for everybody else. So I had to basically give them permission to hold me accountable for and, and show them on the accountability chart where I sit way down here as an employee and, and team member. And, and then when, when, I'm, when I'm responding to them in that role, I have to do what you said and kind of switch hats. It's really hard to do as the leader, but it's really empowering if you can do it for your team. Because then they say, wow, this guy really cares about the quality, he cares about us, he cares about um, and getting us stuff on time and being professional and making sure it's done. And that it, it has been a game changer, but I constantly struggle with it. Like if I could avoid that, mm -hmm. I would. So like for anybody else that's listening, if you're sitting in four different seats when you build out an accountability chart and there's people all in between you, you have an accountability mess. And you need to figure out how to get yourself out of those lower level tasks and, and delegate and elevate yourself. And, and But for me, this is, this is a side, like the videos, the podcasts, those kind of things in a very unique situation in this company where I am the person, I'm like the talent that creates the material that the marketing department has to use uh, for marketing. So it's a, it's a bit of a challenge for sure. It is, man. But it's, there's so much power to that once you understand it and implement it. And there's hacks with it. One of the hacks that we learned this morning was John sits in the COO role and he's in sales and marketing. And then I'm the visionary. Well, we have an operational challenge we need to work through. And so he needs to jump into that head of sales, develop the process flow. The problem is, is he's going to report all of his findings to himself as a COO. So then I said, okay, well, what if I can compartmentalize because that's a skill set that we can develop and I drop from the visionary into the integrator role. So you have to report that to me. And then Fred, who's our other partner, who doesn't sit on either one of those seats, will bounce into the visionary role in that dynamic. And then we take it up the chain and get it resolved. So there's hacks around this stuff. And it's powerful. That even if you have three team members or two or one, like you got to do what you got to do. And I think that's there's a lot of power in creating swim lanes. Yep. That accountability chart will solve uh, 90 to 95% of your problems. If you just go there first, anytime you have a problem, people are process, it's people are process, 
Go to the accountability chart. You'll, you'll be able to find it. You'll say, okay, I see what the problem is. It's this person. It's the seat. It's, it's the process. It's the communication lane. It's all that stuff. It's, it's all right there. It's so powerful. That's awesome, man. So another big takeaway I got from the hot seat was, um, I identified one of the things I love about going to immersion events, getting unplugged from life, getting pulled out of the fishbowl and I'm immersed into an environment of other people that are looking to grow. And so I was able to shine a light on myself at the same time and go, Hey, un, um, unemotionally, very objectively, here's where I want to go. What's my roadblock? What's my block right now? And my personal block is I'm running money for like everything I'm doing, like for everything I'm involved in, I'm the money guy. There's in the weeds work when it comes to money and finances, you all know. And then there's a high level decision-making where I excel is a high level decision-making where I struggle is in the weeds, putting the stuff together. But right now we don't have anybody else. And so I had this theory in my mind over the last three or four months, I want to get our revenue marked to a certain number. So six to nine months from now, literally from today, I'm going to go hire like a staff accountant or a controller, like an assistant controller role that can do all the in the weeds work, deliver it to me so I can make the decisions. And then that hot seat, glaringly obvious, I need to hire that person now. So literally putting ads out this week on Indeed, interviewing, not hiring in six months or nine months from now, but I need to get this person on board in the next 60 days. Yes, it's an investment of money, but the amount of return. And that's something you told me we're sitting in the pool. It's like, dude, if you're going to spend $100,000 on this role. You can literally go make $100,000 in the next 30 days doing it or two weeks. So powerful. Um, Love it. There's another thing that I got from the hot seat, which is, which is much stuff as I have going on. I work with a large institutional bank right now for everything. And it's such a pain on the institutional uh, route with banking. As you all know, there's certain things you can and can't do, and they're not going to make exceptions for you. And so I, one of my projects, like my primary project, once I get this controller hired, is I need to go find a dialed-in community banking relationship locally in Southern California and then literally move everything over to them. So that's a whole kind of a mountain task over the next 60 days. But that's a huge piece that at our level, we just got to do. Um, so that was a big one for me too. Hey, and before you move on to, the next, to your next bullet point, um, if anybody's listening and has a local or regional bank in Southern California that does something like this, reply to our email and we will send it to Al. Or when, when, I, when I ask how you can find out more about him, go straight to him and tell him, like give the referrals. I know you're out there. We have a ton of people in Southern California listening to the podcast. So if you're a banker, you know a banker, you want to earn business from somebody like this, what do you got? So perfect platform for that. Thanks for the plug. Last two things is we had a remarkable speaker at the end that you totally jaw, jaw dropped every single person in the room, bringing a shark, Damon John, into the room. So that was really cool. Like literally you played the video, uh, like introing him. You didn't tell us he was coming in. And every one of us were looking, because I was paying attention to everybody. We're all looking around at each other like, there's no way Damon John's walking in right now. So we all figured like he's probably gonna he's probably gonna call in on a Zoom call at best. And then the dude walks down the stairs. I'm like, this is unbelievable. So we had an hour and a half with Damon to go through. Bill asked him some questions, obviously, went through a QA with him, opened it up. We were able to do a QA with him on a couple of things too. And so a couple of the big takeaways I got from uh, Damon. One, as it pertains to like private equity or acquiring companies or setting up different funds or things like that, setting up different business opportunities. He said something that was just brilliant. And it's the most simplest thing that I could have thought of. He said, take inventory first of what I or we have to bring to the table. Like before we start strategizing for business practices and what we're going to do in high level stuff, 
let's take a step back and let's take some inventory. So if I want to start a syndication model, if I want to go buy a company doing whatever, I need to take inventory of what skill sets are on my immediate team or that I possess. What are my resources? What does my capital look like? Who are the people around me that we can plug holes in? And then we figure out what value add do we bring to the table? And then we can start identifying business opportunities based off of our inventory of what we can and can't do. And so I thought it was brilliant. It's like you do a business strategy meeting before the business strategy meeting, right? Yep. Um, so that was a big one. The last one he talked about was, and I got a bunch from him, but the last one that was a huge aha for me was the three don'ts in business. I have screwed up every single one of these multiple times. And so when he said it, I was just like, gosh, this is such a genius. He's such a simple, he has such a simple approach to business and it obviously works insanely well. And so his three don'ts were number one, don't take in capital too soon. Number two is don't grow too fast. And number three is don't spread too thin. We've probably heard the last two hundreds, everybody on this call has probably heard that at some point. Um, but practically speaking, like the wheels can fall off the bus if you're not in a position to sustain the growth coming in. If you take in capital too soon and you don't have areas to deploy it, you're going to have areas that are just eating up cost for absolutely no reason. And then don't spread too thin is an obvious one, but it was just the way that he simplified it was a big aha for me. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people come in, especially to our seven figure altitude mastermind group and grow really, really fast and just want to, you know, and not, what, what I found is they're not necessarily building the foundation. And look, I've been guilty of that multiple times in some of the things that I've done. Uh, I, I have very little patience and I want to win. Um, and so I, I see I'll grow really, really fast. And, and I always remember Andy McFarland would tell me, he's like, man, my business is put together with duct tape and bubble gum. He's like, we're just, we just, he, we just like move fast and break stuff Organized and we just chaos. break it, build it up, break it, break the machine. And so, and I think he's done a really good job of it, but, um, he's done it over a longer period of time. And so when people would come in, they'd see his business and be like, and I used to, I used to, I kind of coined the term of everybody wants to go from zero to Andy overnight. And, um, and I've seen a lot of people crash and burn because of that. And so uh, for the last few years, we've really been like talking and, and, and pounding the pavement and, and preaching to just um, grow responsibly. That's, that's the biggest thing for me. It's like responsibly grow and, and, not, uh, and, and don't like just outrun your coverage right at the beginning. So um, that's a piece of advice that I'd get everyone listening to the call, whether you're in our mastermind group or you're not. Um, a responsible growth is really, really important and, and grow based on like your growth model as money comes in, figure out how much are you going to invest back in the company to grow? How much are you going to pull out of the company to put in your pocket? Um, and people saw me grow really fast, but what they don't realize and recognize is when I was growing an insane amount in the beginning, like from uh, one deal to 76 to 135 to 187, I, I went, I went from doing like, I don't know, 40,000 a year to $700,000 a year to 1.3 million to 2.3 million. All that time, I had a full-time job that was sustaining my lifestyle completely. So I took every single dollar and dumped it back into the company. Every dollar went back into the business. I didn't have to pay myself. And so what I did was I put, I put, I, I paid myself a W-2 salary, but it was on the books. I didn't actually suck the money out. The money stayed in the business. So I grew it really fast. And then after two years, I was able to pay myself a lump sum of like half a million dollars 
to pull my salary that was owed to me for the past few years because the Navy was paying me W-2 income. And I've coached a lot of people that maybe they're making, you know, $10,000, $20,000 a month or more, but they're paying themselves $10,000 a month and they're going, I want to grow faster. Well, you know, it doesn't really work that way. Like, do you really need an extra, you know, two or $300,000? Are you willing to give up some of that right now to grow the business? And on the other side of things, do you really need to grow that fast to sustain your, the lifestyle that you're looking for? So it, it's, it's somewhere in the middle. It's, it's a, like a, we had a, we had a seesaw there. I think that's what these things are called, right? A seesaw at the uh, event yeah. at the eight figure meeting. Yeah. And Massive like, seesaw is the largest yeah. ones I've ever seen in my life. It was this huge seesaw that was all like uh, made of like sheet metal and it was really pretty. And there were like eight people on it, right? And so that's it. I mean, you can you can you can do one or the other, but I, I don't know how people expect to like grow substantially and pay themselves a massive amount of money at the same time. So most people that grew, like Damon was talking about what I pulled, he's talking about living in his, his house. He had a bunch of people in there with sewing machines, sleeping in uh, sleeping bags on the floor. And he had this, like all of his friends and his buddies, and he was bootstrapped in the beginning, right? And was growing it uh, organically. And it was not growing very fast. And then eventually he got this big investor that came in, saw the vision and said, here, here's a bunch of money. And then now we started taking off. And so um, I think that's a lesson learned for a lot of people out there. And that, that's what I took from what you said. Like, don't grow too fast. Don't get spread too thin and don't take in capital um, too soon. So like, and, and that was the thing that I, that was interesting with him is he waited till the right time to take in that money. And it was enough for him to really, for it to make sense for him. And that's when it really blew up for them. So I, I see a lot of people, not just like, don't do one of these things. They're doing, doing like all of them at the same time. And that's where you get into some big yeah. trouble. Two quick notes on that. Um, I've learned this through mentors over my life. One in particular who's been, I'm his direct report in the loan business, been my mentor for five years. And he's beat this into my brain over the last five years. And it's one of the most powerful things I've learned. And that's that we go through seasons in business. And it's up to us as mature business owners and entrepreneurs to pick the season that we're in. But we have to bounce between one and the other consistently. And that's growth and stabilization and growth and stabilization. And so he does it where he has a year of growth, a year of stabilization, a year of growth, a year of stabilization. You can compartmentalize that down to quarters. Monthly is too, it's too soon. I think quarterly, if anything, you shift your psychology. But you've got to be able to bounce between the two. And to your point, there are going to be times that we need to grow. And there are going to be times we need to stabilize. And don't forget to pull chips off the table. And then the last thing is, and I got this from Tony Robbins. Gary Vaynerchuk talks about this. I've heard this multiple times now too. And that's that we as human beings innately, we grossly overestimate what we can accomplish in a year. And then we underestimate what we can do in a decade. And like that's been standing testament of my life over the last decade. I was that for a long time at the beginning. I started to mature and realize this is a marathon. Like, there's a lot that can be done. In, I mean, just look at the last two years and how our entire lives have shifted. A decade is a very long time and a lot can change. So give ourselves more credit. Yeah, that's one of my favorite ones. I also love when Tony then combines that to turn decades into days with like mentorship <laughs> and support and, and getting around other people. Then it's like, oh my gosh, we're talking about now taking this thing that I don't even know that I can do in a decade and turn it into days by getting around the right people, getting in the right rooms, the immersion events that you talked about. Um, you know, so... 
we've been talking about that a lot inside of our company at Seven Figure Flipping. People come into our world, they pay for one year of mastermind and they think that $25,000 a year for the mastermind group and they are going to grow like a multi-million dollar business in a year and they put so much pressure on themselves to do that that, that this is what happens. We see some implosions sometimes. They want to grow really fast. They do all these things, all the don'ts, right? Because they're not looking at it like an infinite game. They're looking at it like this finite game in one year. And all their metrics and all their success boils down to one year. And I'll be honest, when I joined, that's what I looked at. I was like, okay, I'm going to pay $25,000. What am I going to get at the end of this year? And where am I going to be? And I, like, I have to rush and force this year. And we were on like this, um, the first, the first people that showed up at Dana Point, California, we had like 20 of us. It was a race to a million dollars. The first team to a million dollars got a prize. It was a trip to Hawaii. It was supposed to be. Uh, so Justin was promoting that. And I was like, Oh, that, that sucked me in as a, as an athlete, somebody who wants to compete, all that stuff. Right. I was like, man, I heard these people on the podcast. I was like, no, 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 no. I'm getting in there and I'm going to compete and I'm going to win. And, um, and Mike, Mike Simmons and his partner, Mike, they won, but they went so fast, broke so much stuff that it took them a while to put the pieces back together at the end. They got to a million, but he'll tell you, and he said it on Flip Hacking Live stage and everywhere, they got there the wrong way. And so, so what I'll tell everybody and, and the concept that we've really been working on and thinking on is, and, and it's, it's detrimental to our sales as a company, right? We're going to say come in, but think about this as a multi-year business at least. Whether it's with us or not, that's fine. But this should be, when you start business, like a business, a true business, you're here to learn business. It should be 10 years, 20 years, 30 years that you're thinking. You can pivot and change and adapt and adjust, but it's not a flash in the pan. And if that's what you're looking for, then it really is to you a get-rich-quick scheme that you're trying to accomplish through us, right? So, so I've had to kind of shift because the problem is entrepreneurs and visionaries, we can see way far in the future, but we don't want to, we don't want to put our name to anything more than like a year because we're like, well, after a year, I don't even know where I'm going to be. I don't know who I'm going to be. I'm not going to know what I want. So I, I don't, I, you want me to do a 10 year picture on my, on this vision organizer thing? No, uh, no. I can give you like maybe three years. Maybe mm-hmm. three years, but don't ask me for five or 10. And so that's the problem. Like we have to think that way in, in business. Like you said, it's, it's a marathon, but the visionaries have troubles. It's a little foggy past two or three years, but not because we, we know where we want our company to go. We just don't know where we're going to be because we're all over the place. And it's like, oh, I might have like other ideas or other opportunities or other things. I don't want to, I don't want to chain myself down to this by putting here. And the interesting thing that, that I found recently that, that I've been struggling with, and I figured out how to overcome this is my whole team, the rest of my team, most of them are not visionaries. And so when you tell them that you don't know where we're going to be in three years, all they hear is I need to go to indeed and start looking for another job. Like all your high C's and high D's are freaking out. Your low A's, low D's on the disc, if you follow the disc, your high S's and C's on the disc, they're the people that like, they like process, they like perfection, they like, they don't like change at all. And they want, they want stability and security. And so all they hear is, Bill doesn't know where his company's going to be in three years. Where am I going to be in three years? Oh, crap. So if you want to build a big business, even if you don't know where you're going to be in two or three years, you cannot tell your staff and your team that you don't know where you're going to be in two or three years. You have to keep a rock solid future, cast the vision, keep talking about it, keep telling them where we're going, keep ensuring them that you're still on board, you're excited about this because you are. 
right? And so that was the huge aha that I had. So I, I know I just went like off on a big tangent and I got on my soapbox for a while. But what you said triggered that for this 10-year vision and uh, what you can do in decades because it's so important to have that. And it's hard for us as entrepreneurs and visionaries to, to like put our name to that. Yeah, spot on. So what now? Those are the takeaways from the event. What did you think overall at the event? Like expectations versus what you got? Oh, dude. Uh, okay. So <laughs> the house was ridiculous. My, the lid for what I thought is possible in life was lifted by stepping into that event just because of the location. Like staying in a place that's $20,000 a night, that's really cool. Like I want to be able to take my family there with no motive, no nothing, just we're staying a week because we want to and we can. So that was really cool. Um, the speakers like Damon John, I mean, you just, you really outdid yourself. Like we've, we've had some of these conversations where I know you want to outdo some other big um, event holders and presenters and facilitators and stuff. And like, it was mind blowing. I love these smaller, like I used to love the 3000 people event because of the energy, but the power of the shift that can take place for one human being in a micro event like what we did with so much value and impact is huge. Like I've seen a lot of stuff in my life in the last 10 years and going to different events and experiencing different things, being around different people. Um, I was fully blown away. Like well, on every I, front. I'll tell you that that means a lot because I know that a lot of the events that you've been to and some of the mastermind groups that you've been in and stuff like that has been, uh, that means a lot. So I really appreciate that. I'm glad it was. Um, I was nervous to be perfectly honest. I had no idea how I was going to hit you guys. And at the end, I was just like, oh my gosh, I left it all out in the field. It was really good. I, I, and all the speakers did so like they it unintentionally built on each other in perfect like structure and form for the journey that I was trying to take you guys through. It was really, really good. Um, Hey, uh, I really quick, I maybe, and I don't know if it can be quick, but I, you got, you and your brother did something really cool this past year. Um, could you talk about that for a second? Like your trip, um, all around the country? Oh yeah. Okay. So it was last June, uh, 2021, I think it was February is when we all sat down, me and my brother, um, both of our wives and I, I kind of, he'll watch this and may have a different perspective, but I feel like I kind of, um, motivated everybody to make the decision to do it. But we kind of sat back and we went, you know what? We live in Southern California. We were really considering leaving California for a few different reasons, school system, political reasons, et cetera. And so we said, you know what? Let's look at some other areas. And then we had some plans to go kind of fly to a couple different destinations like Florida, a couple of other states, just to check it out. And then I took a step back and we were sitting around having dinner one night. I just looked at my wife. I was like, what if we took a road trip? And she's like, I don't like, what would that look like? My, my, Alyssa, my wife's all about that stuff. Um, She's actually kind of brought a lot of that stuff into my life over the last seven years, which is awesome. And then she's like, yeah, of course I'm in. And then so I, I realized that the roadblock would probably be my brother and my sister-in-law of wanting to remove themselves from life for that long. So we kind of mapped this out. I went to dinner with them. I said, what if we did a road trip across the U.S.? Now, mind you, we've never done anything like this before. We've never bought an RV, never driven an RV, like didn't do any of that stuff. But so you know what? Let's, let's do it. So Fred was in. My sister-in-law was in, so I planned the whole thing out. We left June 12th. We drove from California. We, we drove 8,500 miles. Don't quote me on it, but we hit like 30 states or something like that going through the U.S. We took six and a half weeks off of life. We did some stuff all around the trip, working probably five hours a week, just kind of holding the glue together on some things. 
But we literally drove from Orange County through Texas, did the whole Florida panhandle, went up to Pennsylvania, drove all the way back across the U.S. And six and a half weeks, it was really challenging. No, we didn't share an RV. I would have probably jumped out in the middle of the freeway. I had to share an RV with my brother, his wife, and kids. We got two separate ones. I bought an RV. He rented one. We caravaned. I hauled my Jeep behind it, and we hauled our bikes behind the Jeep. So I think it was hauling 65 feet, 8,500 miles across the U.S. It was just a lot of fun. It was very challenging. Um, for obviously for, for a few reasons of which we're not used to doing that. Like I'm a, you probably know I'm a very high driver. Like I like working every day. It brings me fulfillment and I didn't do that. So it was very different. But the time that I got with my two daughters, I have a now four year old and a two and a half year old. Um, and the time that we got to spend together during that six and a half week road trip, the experiences they got to gain going through understanding different culture, microcultures within the U S right. Um, it was awesome. It was a huge eye-opener for Fred and I both because we have been grinding. Like, we didn't – we don't come from a wealthy background. Like, we came from pretty humble beginnings. So being able to take six weeks off and go travel to the U.S. is something we never thought possible in a lifetime. So to do it and then to also realize some of the challenges that we had in our businesses at the time and then also to see people on our teams and our employees step up to the plate to fill some of the roles that were needed to be filled it was a super humbling experience and it lifted what's our lid for what's possible in our lives and so i eventually want to take a one-year sabbatical and take my wife and my daughters and travel the world like not be tied down to anything prior to that road trip never thought it'd be possible but it, at some point in this decade we're going to do that and I urge that to any person listening to this podcast. If you have this like burning desire to do something, like take some time off from work or whatever, don't worry about the loss of opportunity costs that you're going to hit. That's going to happen. I'm a very high driver. And trust me, I was thinking about a lot of that during the six weeks. But the value coming out of it and the connection that not only I got with my wife, my daughters, but my daughters got with my nephew and my nieces. And we all got together as my, with my sister-in-law, my brother, and so on. It was a remarkable experience. We got to see friends, family. We actually saw Becca. We went to go see her when we were in Pennsylvania. We got to hang out for the day. So it's just a really cool experience. So anything like that is on your mind, just figure it out. Take the initiative, put the pen to paper, figure out the plan and just do it. Nobody else will. And you don't want to look back in your life and go, man, I wish I did that. I love that. So Becca told me about that when you guys were either there or had just left. She's like, I don't know if you know these guys, but you have got to meet them. Like they're on some six week road trip. It's crazy. Like I'm so inspired. Um, just awesome, awesome human beings. And now that I've gotten to know all of you guys a lot better, I am, I totally agree. Like it was, it's so cool. And if you're listening to this going, I can't do that. Um, I bet there was a time that Alan Fred said that they couldn't either. And there's a time that I'm saying I can't either. And uh, sure you can. You just got to figure out how, right? How can you design and structure your life and your business to the point where you can do things like that if that's something that you desire to do? And uh, I would love for that, for my kids to have that experience and, and all that stuff. It's, that is life-changing. And even though they're little, they will remember that. Um, and it'll shape them and, and who they are in their character and all that stuff. So well done, Dad. Um, Thanks All right. So how can people find out more about you if they want to reach out, if they have, don't forget, if you've got a regional bank, local bank in Southern California um, that wants to do business and run multiple millions of dollars through their bank and give awesome terms uh, to somebody like Al, uh, send it to them. So how can they find out more about you? Uh, Instagram is probably the best way. So I'm pretty active on Instagram. Um, my Instagram tag is al, A-L dot said, S for Sam, E for Edward, D for David dot 1828. 
al.sed.1828. Hit me up in direct message. We'll share some of our projects on there. I've got a lot of different investment vehicles if you're looking to invest in something in the near future. Um, so reach out if you have questions or anything. I'm an open book, happy to share and uh, look forward to connecting with you. Awesome. Al, amazing, amazing stuff. The global beliefs for the team. I think that's really powerful. Um, it's something that I have on my list after we talked about it um, at the event and that accountability chart. I'm actually giving a presentation on hiring uh, next week in Mexico to about four or 500 entrepreneurs. And the accountability chart is going to be the focus of uh, that's where everything starts. Core values and accountability chart. Those two things right there, that, that is like the most important things of a business. If I could go back and start over again, business 101, that's exactly where I would start. Any, I, I was actually talking to a company who does about 3 million trying to get to 5 million. And I said, okay, can you send me an image of your accountability chart? They're like, well, I have one in my head, but it's not really written down. I was like, uh, well, you could probably get from 3 million to 5 million just by writing that down. Uh, that's mm-hmm. it. And, and I'll send you my bill. Um, so really good stuff. Hey, if you're listening to this and especially in the beginning of this, Al talked a lot about getting around the right people, being in the right rooms, finding the right mentors, things like that. I would love to invite you guys into our world. The best way to do that is just to go to sevenfigurealtitude.com and fill out an application. It doesn't matter if you're brand new, if, you're, um, if you've flipped one or two houses, or if you're doing 100 houses a year. That's the best place to start right now with us. Um, our team will talk with you. It might just be, hey, listen to the podcast. Here's a couple free resources of the exact thing that you need for free just for getting on that call. We also do something cool where we talk about your personality profile and uh, and give you a little bit of homework after doing that. And what you can do is show up on the call and just get a free analysis of who you are, what you're really good at, what you might not be as good at, and your traits and characteristics of who you are. I mean, that right there is like thousands of dollars in value um, just for you to get a one-on-one conversation about that. That will change your life if you if you let it. Um, so love to join you, uh, invite you to jump in with us and see what the next step is for you. Maybe it is to invite you into the Altitude Mastermind, or maybe it's just wait till Flip Hacking Live, and we'll talk about Runway then. So uh, we'd love to have you guys. Obviously, the A-Figure Entrepreneur Group is full. Um, we were capping it out at 12. We got to 12. We had an amazing group, and this year, we are rocking and rolling for like 11 more months. Um, Al, anything else you want to add? Like anything that you would say to somebody who's kind of on the fence of jumping into a mastermind or figuring out what their next step is? I do it. I mean, whether it's this or something else, I've been coached professionally for seven years. I've been into the mastermind groups now for probably 18 to 24 months. I literally, no matter where I'm at, what phase in life, how much success I've built will always be coached. I believe that you need to have somebody that, um, is a mentor to you, a peer that you're running with, and then a mentee that you're coaching. And so get into a mastermind group because that's the only way that you're going to have people that see your blind spots. There's a reason why they're called blind spots because you're not going to see them. You need to have people around you that will elevate you and will point those things out. I love that. I also love what Dr. Shannon said about that with the blind spots and the uh, the lions. She was like, all these lions are, are watching each other's blind spots and checking each other and w- working together in a pride. I was like, oh man, I need to work that into our uh, our altitude group and everything that we do. So it's going to be all yeah. lions going forward. So uh, thanks for being here with me. I really appreciate it. I know time is valuable for you and, and all of us. So, And if you're listening, thank you so much for listening. Um, I really appreciate it. I really do appreciate it. Like I would not have this podcast if it wasn't for you. I would love it if you would share it, if you would uh, leave a rating, a review, and just t- tell other people about it. That's how we get found as podcasters. That's how um, all of this stuff continues to grow. We get in front of more people and we can change more lives. So um, all right, everybody, go to sevenfigurealtitude.com. Don't forget, fill out an application. We'd love to see it. And we have an amazing trip to Mexico coming up that you do not want to miss. So you got an opportunity to jump in. Um, Al, thank you so much. And I'll see you guys on the next show. Bye. Thanks, Phil.